Hey, Archie, it's Mo. How are you? Not too bad. How are you, Mo? You know, I'm hanging in there. But hey, I was listing the Canada Land on Monday, and I was surprised when Jesse announced that the current season of your podcast, Commons, is going on a hiatus and an emergency season of Commons all about the COVID-19 crisis is going to take its place on the fly. What is happening over there? I mean, you know, ever since the pandemic kind of hit, Jordan Cornish, who's the co-producer of Commons and I, uh, we're talking about ways in which like, okay, how do we kind of respond to this? You know, what's going to be the most useful to people? Should we just continue going with what we're, we had planned because we had a whole season kind of ready to go. Um, And for a while, that's kind of what we thought, you know, it's like, okay, there's other reporters who can do a better job of this than we can. And, you know, we'll keep looking for opportunities. They come up. We did switch up our our last episode in the season um, to focus on the AIDS epidemic, which was something we were already interested in. We figured Mm. would be more relevant then. But then I heard the story of what happened at the Heron uh, in Montreal and you know, you can hear about it in that first episode that we just put out uh, today. Um, but it was so utterly shocking. And I don't think Canadians, like a lot of people obviously saw that story and were shocked by it. But yeah. that combined with some of the stats I was seeing from people, whether it's at the Toronto Star, the CBC, uh, freelance journalist Nora Loretto, other mm. folks who are compiling statistics about like, look, this is mostly happening in long-term care homes, right? This tiny yeah. little portion of, um, of our society in which less than 1% of people live, like it looked like the majority of deaths were happening there. As of yesterday, the government confirmed that 79% of deaths have happened wow. in either long-term care or in retirement homes. Right. Wow. And so it really seemed to me like this is where the fire is. This is the actual story of what's happening. Mm. And that 10 years from now, we're going to probably look back at at least this first, first few months of this pandemic and be like, what the hell were we doing? You know, and I think thinking about, uh, you know, I've, I've reported on HIV and AIDS. Um, you know, I was at extra for three years. So I reported on that pandemic quite a bit. And we also mm. recently did this episode and, you know, I often found myself wondering kind of like if I was a reporter in the earlier mid 80s, you know, covering AIDS, you know, how would I cover it knowing yeah. what I know in retrospect? And yeah. I think right now that really informed our decision to kind of shift and really focus in on long term care on elderly people, because these mm. are the folks who are being affected the most. And as much as, you know, you and I don't like the fact that I, we can't go outside right now. And obviously, you know, uh, I have friends who are immunocompromised, who are really scared that they could mm. get sick. I've known people who've already gotten sick. And there's lots of other folks who are dying. But my God, what's happening in these facilities is like nothing I've encountered in my lifetime in Canada, at least. Yeah. And, you know, I caught that first episode this morning and it was shocking and horrific. And I think this whole awakening to like the lack of resources for long term care facilities for seniors and the disabled community and then the low wages and overburdening of their caregivers, Mm -hmm. these institutional deficiencies have really become a national shame. And, you know, I called Tamara Taggart a few weeks ago, and she was really passionate about this. And this was the first time I'd really 
uh, become aware of this. And I just recorded an upcoming podcast with Nora Loretto, who you mentioned. And as you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, she's compiling stats on those COVID related deaths. And it wasn't until I saw her work and what she was posting online that even I, and I, I, I feel like I've been keeping in touch with the news, but until I saw the stats that she was compiling, I had no idea that a majority, and you said 79% of, of COVID related deaths are coming from these facilities. I mean, obviously the prime minister has had to address this head on. He's sending in soldiers to some facilities. Is this systemic failure like the biggest disaster within a disaster? I I, I think it is, at least right now. You know, we don't know what's going to happen over the next few months, few years when it comes yeah. to COVID-19, it, the, the shape of this thing could change significantly. But at least in Canada right now, yeah, this is the, this is the story. This is the disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, we were, we were all so worried about what we saw in, especially Northern Italy, about mm-hmm. the ICUs being overrun, about doctors having to make these triage decisions about who lives and who dies. We were worried about ventilators. We were worried to the point where we were actually moving some patients from uh, hospitals into long-term care homes. Right. Right. Think about that. We missed this story. Public health officials missed what was going to happen. You know, uh, the politicians, the media, like there have there were people there were people from the beginning and saying that, look, long term care homes, prisons, shelters. These are the places that are going to be hit the hardest. And we need Mm -hmm. to do something now. We need to act now. But unfortunately, you know, they weren't listened to. We, we got it wrong. And, you know, actually, you know, I, I, maybe I should rephrase that a tiny bit because I don't I haven't totally dug into whether we got this wrong off the bat or mm-hmm. whether or not we kind of overcorrected. Right. Whether if we hadn't taken the measures that we did, that our hospitals would be overrun. And instead, now it's it's in long term care. But what is clear is that this pandemic is exposing certain pre-existing, um, uh, you know, what would be the word, pre, you know, problems with this yeah. system and the way in which we treat disabled and elderly uh, people who have to rely on it. You know, both mm-hmm. Jordan and I. Um, uh, Jordan Cornish, the co-producer Commons, have some experience dealing with the long-term care system. You know, my uh, uh, my dad had an uh, uh, anoxic brain injury uh, from drowning a few years back, and so he was at a point mm-hmm. where he needed. You know, he was in a hospital for for that time. He wasn't really he couldn't take care of himself, right? Like he had mm-hmm. severe cognitive failure essentially. And so we were looking to put him into a long term care home. This is in um, you know, in BC. We yeah. put him on a wait list. It cost us thirty dollars a day just to have him on the wait list. Wow. That's huh. you know, nine hundred bucks a month. Like yeah. that is crazy that was my first you know he he unfortunately passed away before he ended up in long-term care before we were able to get him into one of those facilities but that was my first experience with this system and that was shocking you know the typical journalist asshole that i am i called up every single person on that chain who may be able to, you know, get us out of that debt because I found it so unreasonable. But unfortunately, that's just the way the system works. 
And yeah. so that's just one minor aspect of it, you know, and, and yeah. Jordan as well. Yeah. She's had some experience dealing with that system as well. So we both felt really, we both felt passionate about wanting to move into this topic. You know, one thing that wasn't tackled in the first episode, but I, mm-hmm. I wonder if you're going to look into it in later episodes. I, I personally look through a lot of issues through a racialized lens occasionally. And one thing that sticks out in all of this is the working conditions, including the low pay and yep. the lack of protective equipment for a lot of those long-term caregivers. And we're mostly mm-hmm. talking about immigrants, particularly the Filipino community here, right? So I'm just yep. wondering like, how much of race is a factor here in terms of ignoring these workers and not providing them with resources for so long. So I want to, you know, just kind of qualify what I'm about to say with that. I haven't done all of the research. I, you know, I like to be kind of careful before I make these bold statements, but I'm going to make a bold statement. Race has a lot to do with it. You know, I think the fact that these are primarily migrant women of color, older, who are working in these facilities means that these are folks who are uh, viewed by society as a little bit more disposable, right? That we don't need to necessarily pay them that well. And also they often just have kind of less bargaining power in, in general. Um, the first worker who died in Toronto, we we're hoping to, to do some, uh, to do a story about her. She was a, a Filipino woman who died at a long-term care facility in Scarborough, or rather I should say she got infected uh, with the coronavirus from working mm-hmm. at that long-term care facility. You know, every single person who spoke out about her said she was incredibly passionate about her job. She was incredibly mm-hmm. passionate about the work that uh, she did and the people that she cared for. And, you know, the, that first story that we focused in on um, about the Heron residents, one of the things that shocked people the most is that workers would abandon that facility. Yeah. And that is shocking. Sure. You know, the fact that all, uh, you know, around 150 people were left um, it, during this time with maybe two people to care for them and were left in such horrifying, decrepit conditions should be mm-hmm. condemned across the board. And, At the same time, though, you know, those workers were getting infected themselves. They weren't paid very well. Um, They had they may have had people in their own lives who were susceptible to infection that they had to care for. You know, Mm. we we don't necessarily know everything that happened there. But here's what I fear is going to happen. It's. When I when I was you know listening to to Aaron Derfell, the Gazette reporter, talk about that story, weirdly the thing that was ringing in my mind was Lachmagantic. I don't know if if folks recall that story, but that was when um, a a train full of crude blew up, you know, derailed, blew up in the town of Lachmagantic, Quebec, Mm -hmm. killing around fifty people. The only person who's prosecuted from that was the, the train driver, like the engineer. Um, right. wasn't the owners. It wasn't the, it wasn't the, the government officials who had been deregulating that industry for years. And like, yeah, you know what, maybe that driver should have taken some more precautions, but mm. he didn't want to kill all those folks for sure. Of course not. And, yeah. and he didn't have the ability to do his job safely and right. he got scapegoated. I suspect we're going to see a similar thing happen here so that corporations and governments and frankly, all of society doesn't really have to think that hard about how we're treating disabled and elderly people in these institutions. Yeah. 
You know, my worry here is that there have been red flags in the past about long-term care facilities from both advocates and from people working in these facilities. The fact that 1,500 deaths of residents in these facilities happens every year just from the flu and communicable diseases, things that can be prevented because these are things that are brought into those facilities. These residents have always been sitting ducks. So what's the risk here that we look at this today, we see the disaster, we get outraged, but then just like in the past, the media and the political will will just move on. When it comes to these things, I'm a pessimist, (laughs) you know, even though literally my job is to, you know, try to bring attention to these kinds of issues in order that people may enact some kind of change. Yeah. On, on this issue, I was talking to uh, Nathan Stahl last week and you'll be able to hear him in upcoming episodes of commons pandemic. He's a geriatrician uh, out here in Toronto and Mm. he was even more pessimistic and kind of despondent than I was he was convinced like, you look, yeah, we're going to have some kind of Royal commission or something like that after this. And then we're just going to go on about our merry ways because frankly, it's expensive to do this kind of care. It requires investment. It's not pretty either. You know, Mm. you're not, people aren't, he pointed out that people don't do, you know, fun runs and raise money for diseases like dementia because it's ugly, you know? Yeah. We don't talk about people soiling themselves because they're unable to clean themselves because that's not something pleasant to think about. Yeah. But the other thing, you know, the inevitability is that we're going to have to pay for this one way or another. Already, mm. a lot of long-term care is essentially uh, privatized and, you know, it's people having to pay for their own family members. Mm. One of the issues that's happening right now is the fact that so much of, this, of the care that's necessary is done by personal support workers that are hired by family members, right? Mm. Um, and they can't go into these facilities now. So that's right. one of the staffing shortages is that families were essentially paying for staff to help, you know, carry the, the public burden. Um, and so that's, you know, I, I am very pessimistic that this is going to change, especially because the nature of this pandemic may change. This may not be the thing that we remember the most from this a few months from now, but what I'm really worried about right now, and even just from talking to people, is what does life look like for folks who are living in long-term care right now? Mm-hmm. For folks, for people, there's a whole group of people who are, at this moment, infected with COVID-19 and are going to be dead within a few weeks. And we don't even know about that. And yeah. are they gonna, they're not gonna, a lot of them are not going to have access to palliative care they're not going to be able to be around their families. You know, mm. they're, they're dying scared and alone. Um, and that is the most tragic thing I, I have heard about. But, you know, even if, if for, the, for the people who don't get infected, are they just going to have to stay in their residences indefinitely? Yeah. As we yeah, figure this question. out. Yeah. Right? Like we've been talking about like, okay, so maybe we let out younger people in waves and you know, some people will get sick, but we have the hospital capacity to deal with that now, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But what about these these most vulnerable people? What yeah. are their last 
year is going to look like if this goes on. I mean, that's that's a truly horrifying thought to me. And I don't think we're thinking about at this moment, because we're in such an emergency mode, about what we can do about that to make people be able to live with dignity, you know, and there are folks in long-term care who are never able to leave anyways, but Mm -hmm. they still can tell something's wrong. You know, they're being approached by these masked individuals. They're, you know, and the mass death that's happening in some of these places. Think about there's a facility out in Bob Cajun, Ontario, where half of the residents are dead out of 60, around 30 have died. Wow. These are folks who have lived around, you know, some of them have lived there for years, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you're a resident there or if you're a worker there, imagine what that level of mass death does to your mind, right? Like that is trauma that's almost unthinkable to me. Um, And these are just, you know, these kinds of questions are just not, on top of the agenda right now. I know there are policy uh, policymakers and healthcare workers and journalists who are absolutely working at this and trying to to do the right thing and get this on top of the agenda. But at the same time, for for most of us. You know, and this is me included, right? Like sure. up until I kind of immersed myself into this, right? It, it's so much easier to just kind of look away and not think about it. Yeah. Well, I am glad you're covering it. And, and you know, I completely agree with you. I think it is the biggest story right now. It's definitely the most horrific story. And, and the stats speak for themselves. Uh, I, I've always found that you guys at Canada Land do amazing work. And I've always enjoyed your podcast comments. It's, it's incredible. Thanks for shifting gears and and being able to cover this. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for listening. I really appreciate that. Sorry the talk had to be so so depressing, you know. There's no we can, we can go into more lighthearted stuff if you need to. <laughs> well, okay, how about we end on this note? I have to ask sure. you. Yeah. Bret Hart ever hear your Commons Dynasty episode oh, on the Hart family? I, I doubt it. You know how much like content is put out about the hearts every year? Right? Yeah. Like you know, for uh, I, I'm not a huge wrestling fan by any means, but even just like a cursory look around, it was like, oh yeah, I forgot that wrestling people are really fucking into wrestling, <laughs> and so there's like documentaries and books and podcasts and like weird Twitch streams and like everything. There is so much stuff out there that I am very doubtful that Bret Hart uh, came across that, but man, if he did, that would be something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I thought you covered it very well. Uh, I mean, I thought you covered the Hart family very well, but particularly centering around the Montreal Screwjob, I thought that was very well done, as are all of your episodes. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> well, hey, Archie, I'll let you go. I appreciate your time. Keep up the amazing work on Commons. I'll be listening. Stay healthy, my friend. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mel, and uh, same to you. Thank you, Archie. Cheers. <laughs>